I think we are on the the cusp of the largest change of infectious disease since antibiotics. Like I think that our ability to understand not just the patient, but communities and populations and how antimicrobial resistance moves through a population and preemptively identify threats and neutralize them either for the patient or for the community before we've had severe outcomes or before society has been locked down is I think we just have this incredible opportunity right now to improve the lives of humanity. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss genomics research and how new discoveries are shaping our understanding of science and nature. I'm your host, Andrew Hinton. In our last episode, we were speaking to Robert Schlauberg and Laga Farnes from ID by DNA about the value of clinical metagenomics. By the time we cut out of that conversation, we had been talking about shotgun metagenomic sequencing, an agnostic approach to analyzing microbes that does not require previous knowledge about the species present. This episode features the second half of that interview, where the conversation shifts to the application of metagenomics towards the threat of emerging pathogens, which is, of course, timely given the pandemic we're in now. If you haven't already, we encourage you to go listen to episode 72 first, and here we'll drop into the conversation right where the last episode left off, with Robert commenting on the evolution of metagenomics technology. Let's listen in. So this is what I think is really exciting about this technology, aside from the the many benefits we already talked about is the the ability to continuously expand our knowledge and improve tests as we go. So just to give you an example of this, we've done a lot of metagenomic testing for respiratory infections. And with a very rapidly evolving knowledge about SARS-CoV-2, for example, it is really powerful to have a technology where the test the workflow in the laboratory stays exactly the same. And as there are new strains we need to look for, as it becomes clear there are certain mutations that have a substantial impact on the phenotype, we can add that knowledge to the software and to our knowledge bases, and we can add actionable information as we learn more. And this makes the laboratory and the clinician and the healthcare system much more flexible and puts us in a better position to more quickly respond to these rapidly evolving situations. So this is all very important in the uh, the time of COVID-19, which you just alluded to. So let's shift to the effort to monitor emerging pathogens. And obviously to do that, you need an agnostic approach to identify something that's previously unknown. But shotgun metagenomics in its current state hasn't been around that long. So Can you comment on how the recognition of SARS-CoV-2 in response to COVID-19 looked in comparison to previous outbreaks from just the last 10 to 20 years? Well, I mean, if you compare, let's say, three outbreaks, right, you compare HIV to the original SARS to SARS-CoV-2, like HIV took years to identify. Like they knew that there was a bloodborne pathogen there. It took years to identify the virus. I think the original SARS was identified in about five months, and I think COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, was identified in less than a month. Like, you know, really, 
once you identify that there is something that is going on, there is an infectious agent spreading that you're not recognizing. If you imagine a world where all hospitals are basically enabled to run metagenomics in their laboratory, then really within a day of when someone recognizes that there is a pathogen that is making people sick that we haven't recognized, you could have an answer as to what it is. Like you're, you, we've moved from years to months to weeks, and, and now we're pretty much ready to move that down to days or hours. Right. And I think there's, so there's the time from when you have a suspicion to when you have an answer, right? So traditionally this required a cluster of cases where that raised the level of suspicion that were unexplained, right? But looked and smelled like an infectious outbreak. And now with this technology, once we're at that point, we can get an answer very quick, as Logo said, within hours or a few days. What I think is really exciting too is that as we're incorporating metagenomics in routine diagnostics and use it as part of conventional workup, we also have an early warning system, right? We don't even have to wait for a cluster of patients. With the first patient, you're at least theoretically in a position to identify a new or emerging pathogen. And so I think that puts us in a much better position as we're preparing for the real threat of future emerging pathogens. And it can even be used for something more mundane than like a brand new outbreak, right? Like if you say that we're basically collecting all of the data on pneumococcus and we're suddenly seeing a real increase in this particular serotype that should be covered in this vaccine, maybe in this specific patient population, it's worth deploying another dose of PCV13 or something like that. Like this nimbleness to respond not just to catastrophic pandemics, but really to minor variations in the epidemiology on a day-to-day -day level of what's going on with infectious disease opens up a whole new world for us to really be able to deal with infectious disease and, and public health and epidemiology in a way that's never been possible. Yeah, I think antimicrobial resistance is yeah. another, another example, right, of a maybe less dramatic but, but equally impactful scenario where it's important to keep a close eye on the genetic makeup of pathogens and their ability to evade treatment. Well, you kind of made a reference to like the first patient to come down with something or, you know, patient zero. But I was wondering, there's the question of whether that tests or those questions are actually going to be asked. And so when it comes to the potential capacity for clinicians to recognize an emerging pathogen, I'm wondering how often or how easy it would be for something like COVID-19, because it has symptoms that are similar to other known pathogens, could circulate undetected for a while before someone notices that it's new. So can you comment on that in regards to like what you're seeing changing in the infrastructure and the network currently? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, that, I mean, just at a, at, at a fundamental level, we don't know how many patient zeros there are. Right. Like, I mean, how many times does someone become infected with something that comes out of an animal, but then for some reason or another, it never then spreads human to human and that they become infected with something. And then the pandemic just kind of fizzles out or dies before it ever really becomes a pandemic. So sort of any kind of visibility into that really early stage of the development of new human disease 
only happens with a really broad kind of based agnostic surveillance or detection. And that can only happen if you're using those results in day-to-day clinical care, right? Like you can't build that system independently where everybody says, well, we're going to take this sample for clinical utility, and then we're going to take this other sample for every patient to sort of monitor for the development of new infectious diseases. Really, once you've developed something that you can use for clinical care, then you get this added benefit of visibility into the development of pandemics, which currently right now we have almost no visibility into. And what Logger just described is what's how how pathogen surveillance is, is largely practiced today. It's a, a separate effort, a certain percentage or based on some selection criteria, samples are referred for additional higher resolution testing for surveillance purposes. But it's it requires additional effort. It's usually a small proportion of samples where that's that's performed. And it's resource intense. Now, if you can generate the data as part of your routine testing and, and the effort now is analyzing the data in aggregate, right, um, that becomes much more scalable and sustainable. And your question regarding patient zero, right, and how many there are, as Logo said, in at least half of the patients, adults in, that are hospitalized with pneumonia, we never know what the cause was of their infection. And so there's a huge, you know, a huge amount of dark matter when it comes to understanding the ideology. And most of the time that does not involve unknown or spillover infections, right? Um, but when it happens, it can take a while until there are a sufficient number of cases so that additional testing is triggered. And that, that's, that's the paradigm shift that becomes possible with metagenomics. Yeah. That brings me to my next question, because I'm particularly interested in changes in the diagnostics for respiratory pathogens that cause flu, colds, or pneumonia. And this is obviously of increased interest now in the time of COVID-19. And from my own personal experience in the past, whenever I've been to the doctor for a cold or a flu, I've never actually been tested for a pathogen in any way, but rather they just did the diagnosis based on my symptoms and nothing else. And now that testing for SARS-CoV-2 has become commonplace, I would hope that there would be an increase in accurate diagnosis for other respiratory pathogens in the clinical setting as well. So my question is this, can you comment on the current standard of care when it comes to testing for respiratory pathogens other than SARS-CoV-2 and has it changed during the current pandemic or would you expect it to change more in the near future with co-infections as you alluded to earlier being such a heavy concern? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's going to change because, you know, even like SARS-CoV-2 is, is not going to go away. Like, you know, that is going to continue to to be around even as people get vaccinated. Like it, it's unlikely that we'll be able to fully eliminate it and there'll be new new variants. And I think that it's going to be, become increasingly important to sort of do this kind of genomic sequencing of the individual strains that come out. And if you have a solution that can do that, but at the same time also test for other respiratory viruses, you know, certainly once multiplex PCR came out initially, we saw a lot more human metanumavirus than we ever expected. But for the most part, people weren't always tested with those multiplex PCR panels because it didn't really change your management, right? Like depending on which virus you had, it didn't change your management. Like once they found out you didn't have flu, then, okay, well, you have something else and we're not going to put you on antibiotics and we have no other directed therapy. 
as you get more respiratory viruses like flu and, and SARS-CoV-2, for which there is actual clinical management, then of course the need for testing is going to increase. But also I think that the need for ongoing molecular epidemiology and surveillance is, is going to increase because it's going to really matter, I think, from a public health standpoint to figure out exactly what is circulating and how do we need to intervene. And I think the answer to your question is also influenced by traditionally additional testing meant additional costs, right? Every respiratory pathogen you want to look for requires selection of additional tests and therefore additional costs. And I think this is really where metagenomics changes the game in that you can ask a much broader question without generating additional costs. You can also ask this very broad question and selectively interpret and report, right? You, the fact that you can detect everything doesn't mean you should be reporting everything, right? And I think this is an important consideration as well with using this very broad technology is we can still selectively or iteratively answer questions as they make sense clinically. We don't have to always report every microorganism that's detected. And um, so here we're in a position where we can ask much broader questions when they make sense, but be more narrow when, when that's all that's needed. So what lessons have we learned from the emergence of SARS-CoV-2 that could help us to be better prepared for the next emerging pathogen? I, I think it's worth thinking back about the very early days of, of SARS-CoV-2, when it first came and nobody had a test for it. And everybody was desperately trying to find a test, figure out ways that we could increase testing. How can we diagnose this thing that we're worried about and, and we don't have something that we can do that. And I think having flexibility built into the system, like it became very apparent early in the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic that we didn't have the diagnostic flexibility built into the system. And it really hampered our ability to be able to control the disease because once you got a certain amount of the disease, you couldn't contact trace, you couldn't contain anymore. And so being able to say that, yes, we can respond to any pathogen that is encoded with nucleic acid, like maybe not prion disease, but like anything that has nucleic acid we can respond to, we need that. Like it's really powerful and we need to be able to have that flexibility. Could you explain what you mean, though, by uh, having flexibility in the system? Well, I, I mean, being able to to have hypothesis-free diagnosis. So basically, when you get new information, you can respond to it instantly. You don't have to, you don't even have to have your PCR primers developed. Like basically anybody can test for any disease. And this is the idea of broad deployment of metagenomics, where if every hospital has the ability to do this, if every hospital has the ability to do unbiased testing, then every hospital already has in-house a test that theoretically could be used for any infectious disease. Yeah, so all we need is a security update, a bug fix <laughs> to the software. And we're in a position where we can find the new, the new SARS-CoV-2 without developing new tests, scaling them up, and you know, struggling through an unreliable supply chain and labs getting ready for it, right? We have 
the testing infrastructure in place and it's a software update. And, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're going through this now the second time with SARS-CoV-2. Initially, it was the, the ability to detect SARS-CoV-2. Now it's the ability to detect certain mutations or certain strains, right? And so, as mentioned earlier, this is additional functionality, this, the metagenomic test, you can add with a, a simple software update without having to develop new tests or setting up new workflows, training staff again, right? So I think this is a, a really important lesson from you know how limited availability of testing and characterizing a pathogen has hampered the response. So this is my last question, and this is for both of you. In closing, what excites you about the field of clinical metagenomics, and where do you see it in five to 10 years? I think we are on the, the cusp of the, the largest change of infectious disease since antibiotics. Like, I think that our ability to understand not just the patient, but communities and populations and how antimicrobial resistance moves through a population and preemptively identify threats and neutralize them either for the patient or for the community before we've had severe outcomes or before society has been locked down is I think we just have this incredible opportunity right now to improve the lives of humanity, you know, I mean, infectious disease is, has been the scourge of humanity since civilization started or before civilization. And we can't beat antibiotics. Like antibiotics are hard to beat when you deal with infectious disease. But I think in the, the management of infectious disease, this is going to be the biggest thing since antibiotics. Yes. And I completely agree. I think we're, we're going to see the technology become faster, cheaper, and more informative, and it's going to make its way from, you know, where we started this conversation and kind of last resort applications to routine use, not just in, in uncommon and severe infections, but in the most common infectious diseases that, that we still use culture or, or very, very targeted tests today. And I think I completely agree with Log. I think this is um, going to drive a paradigm shift on multiple levels. Well, it's been very educational speaking with the two of you, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. And also thank you for your ongoing efforts in pushing forward the field of clinical metagenomics. Yeah, thank you. This was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us today. If you like today's show, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. We'll talk to you next time at the Illumina Genomics Podcast.